Welcome back, everybody, to the Four Freedom Podcast. It is John and my co-host James. How's it going, James? The Sons of Thunder are back from our a uh, couple of weeks off from the summer. I'm doing well. A couple of weeks. I think some people thought we were gone for good. <laughs> no, we are not gone for good. We are back, baby, back in the saddle and uh, looking forward to a great episode today. Hey, in a couple of weeks, John, we'll be face-to-face and uh, we're going to be at the sake of for the sake of the gospel conference uh, in Danville, Virginia. If you have not gotten your tickets yet, go to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast dot com and uh, get your tickets. Fifty dollars. It's going to be a great time. I've already registered. John, have you registered? Yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I, yeah, I'm registered. We're registered. I had to we're think about that for a second. I was like, wait a second, did I? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, We're gonna be we there and, are going to be there. Hey, one of my favorite things, John, that we did, and I would love to do it again, uh, when we were at, at the meetup in um, Bourbon, Missouri, was we uh, recorded some some short tidbits of testimonies from people uh, that we had met while we were there, and I would love to do that again, bring our recording stuff and uh, record some live testimonies, live interviews there on the spot at some lunches and dinners and piece them all together. Uh, and so if you're going to be there, we would love to do that and uh, get some some short stories from you. And uh, I think that those I think we did three or four last time. Those all did well and uh, still keep in contact with a couple of those. And uh, so uh, if you if you're going to be there, we would love to to jump in and interview you uh, for the podcast. What's your thoughts on that, John? Sounds like a great idea. And it's a good way to talk to people. You know, we we uh, this is about you know, helping people. So, you know, if it's, it's about people also being able to, to tell their stories. And a lot of times it's through someone's story that someone has helped. So I think that's, uh, you know, that's definitely something we want to do. Uh, we're looking forward to uh, worshiping and, and just, you know, being edified through the, the message preached uh, at this conference. And I think it's going to be a, a good time, a wonderful time and uh, looking forward to that. If yeah. you guys do not listen to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast, uh, the the mothership, uh, as they say, uh, then uh, James and I were able to uh, co-host that, and uh, they took a summer break. And then while we were on our summer break, we filled in for them with, uh, yeah, with 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 our friends at the Young Baptist podcast, Josh Johnson and Clay Maynard, and uh, so that episode is up on theirs. Um, we may link that episode to this this episode. If you don't already listen to the RFP, uh, you know you may want to go check that one out. I think it was a good one. There's also some really other good ones by the the other podcast hosts that filled in. Uh, some some really good stuff that was that was done there. Um, so, you know, it's it we're we're back in the saddle, back at it, James. And and all the network's going to be there. We're all going to be able to uh, be at that meetup and. Uh, uh, the gathering that we've got. So hopefully you'll be able to come and see some of your friends, see some of your family, and uh, have a good time. John, today we've got an interview with Jonathan Smith. He's a great author. Uh, he's out of Faith Lafayette um, Ministries up in uh, the north northeast. Was it Lafayette, Indiana. Indiana, that's right. I always think of Lafayette, Louisiana. Indiana. And uh, so he's going to be here. Uh, we're going to jump on with him in just a minute, and we're going to talk through a book that he wrote uh, so I'm super excited about this interview and uh, about what uh, he's going to be able to offer our listeners. Uh, if you know someone that struggles with technology or struggles with social media, uh, this will be a great, helpful, uh, helpful uh, uh, interview. So hopefully you can jump on with us. If you don't think you struggle with social media, this is a, everybody needs to listen to this because it's just good. It's like, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that people that think that they're okay may need to listen to this. Yeah. So, well, without further ado, let's roll our intro and get started with the interview. I do not mean to be mean. I do mean to be mad. Those that criticize this kind of preaching, they don't like authority. If you ain't got the King James, you ain't got, hey, if you don't have a King James, you don't have a Bible. You'd be surprised. Son, don't go to sleep while I'm talking. Hey, hey, hey! Don't, don't, don't you lay your head back. I, I'm, I'm important. I'm somebody. 
I love you. You know I love you. Have I convinced you I love you? Uh, yeah, you better you better nod your head yes. All right, come on, put it right there. All right, you stay awake and you listen to me. I still believe it'd be a cold day in hell before I get my family to a woman. I'm a preacher. When you got dressed today, you dressed deity. This is the For Freedom Podcast, a podcast that is part of the RFP network that seeks to bring freedom in Christ from the spiritual abuse of legalism. Now here are your hosts, John Hollyfield and James Safrit. And so fundamentalism is designed to unpack the idea of authority from Scripture. The problem with that is that that's not the defining principle in Scripture. It is a part of Scripture, but the defining principle in Scripture is love. saying that all men who sit under the, uh, that teaching will become abusive but what i'm saying is the ones who are abusive will be drawn to that sort of teaching I don't want to give people just a list of things they can start doing differently until they have a heart out of which they're going to be doing those things differently. But I think bitterness is different from hurt. I would say that hurt or even abuse does not have to result in bitterness. Well, it's an honor to have with us today an uh, interview with Jonathan Smith uh, out of Faith Lafayette uh, Ministries, and uh, we're going to be talking through a book that he wrote, and uh, we are honored to have him on. Uh, as we get started, I'm going to read his biography just to give you a heads up of who he is. He's been the Director of Technology for Faith Ministry since 2001. Uh, he's a national conference speaker and author. Uh, as we'll be talking through his book today, he's uh leads and oversees the technology departments at multiple of the faith's campuses and facilities. Uh, in these roles, Jonathan has had the opportunity to use his passion for things, uh, technology, things of technology, to honor Christ and to help others do the same. He has provided input and expertise for two engagements at the White House during the Obama administration. He's used social media to build connections with NASA to help promote space exploration and to fuel his hobby of chasing rockets. He's a frequent presenter of biblical counseling, church technology, and leadership conferences, and speaks at parenting workshops across the country. From 03 to 15, Jonathan also served as a deacon at Faith Church. Uh, prior to joining the team, he worked at IT and media-related fields. His career in radio began as a weekend board op and news editor, and then he moved into live radio and on-air personalities and commercial voiceover artist. Following his time in radio, Jonathan worked as a Star Trek TV franchise and promotions with, and continues to be a devoted Trekkie today. Jonathan attended Purdue University and has a bachelor's degree from the University of Phoenix in Management and Information. Uh, it's an honor having Jonathan here with us today. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. And um, I appreciate you reading all of that boring information, um, some of that I've even forgotten about. Um, <laughs> yeah, but most of that was true. That's great. Uh, I love it. Uh, well, Jonathan, uh, give us a, sort of an update. Some of our listeners may know what's happened at Faith Lafayette. There was an ordinance uh, that was drawn up by the county to uh, limit some uh, of the biblical counseling that you guys do, uh, and I think it's been withdrawn now. Sort of give us an update on what's happened there and uh, and help our listeners out a little bit. Uh, sure. The the ordinance in you have to kind of understand our geography a little bit. There are two towns divided by the Wabash River. Um, Lafayette and West Lafayette faith has campuses in both the ordinance was drawn up by the city council of West Lafayette so it would have impacted just our operations on that side of the river um, but yeah the, the goal of the ordinance was basically to ban any form um, of conversion therapy and faith has never practiced that um, but the ordinance came out basically saying if you do that or you do that even in a private fashion then we're going to be fines and 
I mean, it was going to be a, a fairly big step of uh, inter interrupting in terms of what we do is just getting in the way of what parents and families were to do just in terms of, hey, I've got questions about what the Bible says about this. And if you approach the topic from a biblical perspective, it could be viewed in a negative light um, in terms of what the government was thinking was conversion therapy. So unfortunately, it, it came up. Um, the biblical counseling movement rallied behind it. You know, the, the West Lafayette City Council folks got just a barrage of communication um, from all over the country, even all over the world, people just stepping up and expressing the, the right to, for us to practice and to teach what we believe the Bible says. Um, and as a result, I mean, it did make a bit of a dust up, but it eventually got withdrawn. I, I think it's a, um, you've won the battle, we haven't won the war kind of a thing. I don't think it's over. Um, but it was very interesting to watch that just kind of explode so fast. And then eventually um, the Lord was good. He blessed the efforts of, of the church and of others. And it was stopped for now. Yeah. And, and I had heard it on multiple platforms that I listened to before John had shared it with me. Uh, what was going on. I think Al Mohler had talked about it a little bit mm -hmm. and some other organizations had mentioned uh, what was going on, which is, is great for uh, publicity that people still stand up for the Bible, still stand up for biblical counseling, which is what uh, we are here for. And uh, so I'm glad to hear that. Uh, have y'all had any talks as far as do you think there's gonna they're gonna try to redo this after the midterms or? <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? Um, the the elections obviously change things. Um, you just have to take it a day at a time. So you don't really know what's going to happen in the city of West Lafayette. You know what's going to happen in the city of Lafayette or the state of Indiana or wherever you may be. Yeah. Um, I think the, 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 what I got out of a lot of that was, you know, the people of the Lord came together. It wasn't so much about stepping on face toes. It was you're stepping on um, the, the freedom of religion and the practice of what we believe the Bible says about specific topics. And if you think it's only going to happen here, um, the bigger picture is it's going to continue happening. The devil is still doing his thing. We still have an enemy. And so it's, it's are the people, is the church ready to fight that battle as it comes? Because it's going to move across the country and the election is going to change the direction it takes or if it gets put on hold or if it gets ramped up. Um, yeah. It does matter. You know, one of the encouraging things that, that we took away from that was, you know, it does matter. You People should be voting. People should be participating in the process because this is the kind of stuff that can come out years after or years before an election. Yeah. John? Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's um, good stuff. And, and I think that um, the uh, one, of, one of the things that was that you said was, you know, conversion therapy is not it's not what we do. In fact, biblical counselors would be like very much adamantly against conversion therapy. And so what was going on there is it was sort of like a underhanded sort of sleight of hand going in there saying conversion therapy, but then all encompassing everything that would do to try to, you know, go after um, a biblical based religious uh, model and, and that kind of thing. And so uh, those are things that I think people need to keep an eye out on. And um, so we appreciate Faith's Church as sort of being point on that, and 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 Pastor Viers is, is leadership there, and uh, we definitely were people that were praying for the ministry and praying for you guys. And uh, but uh, today we are excited because uh, Jonathan wrote a book, and uh, this is a book that we think is timely, and uh, a book that is a very interesting conversation type that you probably wouldn't uh, hear a lot of uh, conversation uh, like. Uh, discussions about, but I think that is something as Christians, we really need to, uh, to, to take some account of and to take some, some uh, take seriously. And that is about social media and our, uh, our interaction with social media. And uh, the book is called, are you hooked? And uh, it came out what two years ago, Jonathan. Uh, it's been out for a while. I think it actually came out in 2017. And it, it okay. amazes me how it continues to get, you mentioned, more timely. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it, it, the, the social issue, every, you can't turn the news on without seeing and reading about social media. So um, it, it has been very timely, even though it was written in, in technology terms eons ago. It does seem <laughs> to still have a, have a very unique niche to fill. Yeah, that's good. And, uh, you know, from, and we share, as we talked before we got on there, we're on there with, uh, a lot of history, similar history uh, in social media growing up was this everything's anti, you can't be on social media. I can remember kids getting uh, 
demerits in college for having a Facebook account. And uh, I think John at the the school, the Christian school he went to, I can remember kids that were there that got in trouble for having social media. And I flip onto social media now and it's like, hey, follow this the same college that has a social media <laughs> and uh, come watch us and come be a part of what we've got going on online. And so uh, the, how the tides have turned in so many areas where kids were getting almost kicked out of college in these Christian universities, where now these Christian universities are using this technology for their advantage. Um, and so we'll just jump, start trying to jump right into it. Why did you feel led to even write this book, even back in, in 2017 and, uh, and sort of give us your thoughts there. You guys are making me feel old. When I was in college, um, social media was the farthest thing from anybody's mind. Uh, um, no, the, the genesis for me was in the, in the early 2010s, I had noticed social media start to, you know, social media is young. It, I mean, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff started in 2006, 2007. So this is not um, something that's been around for a very long time. And um, I got involved early because I'm a tech guy. I'm a geek. You know, I have an account on every platform. I don't use them all, but I like to experiment with them all. So as new stuff evolves, I get out there and play around. Um, I realized, um, once I realized I could use social media for extortion to get what I wanted out of it, I realized there was going to be a need for young people, my own children, and other people to learn how to use this thing responsibly. And then I realized it was going to grow beyond just young people. Adults were struggling here too. Um, I use social media back in 2010 to get exclusive access to a space shuttle launch at the NASA Kennedy Space Center. And I got it strictly because of connections through Twitter and how NASA was trying to use Twitter to promote space exploration, to promote what NASA does which I thought that's a fascinating way to use social media. And it was young, so we're trying to see how it was going to play out. But when I got involved and I got to experience some of the benefits of that and going to places that no one else got to go and standing so close to rocket launches, you could feel the heat kind of a thing coming off of the, the flame. I thought, I wonder if social media can be better used, not just um, within our families and within Christian circles, but within our ministries. You know, NASA's hanging a carrot out there to get us to, get us to promote space exploration and the carrot being... Um, come join us, we'll give you exclusive access. Um, the church has a lot more to promote than exclusive access to a rocket launch. Um, you know, we have a thing we like to talk about called eternal life. So how can the church use social media? Um, so that was kind of the starting point in my own mind. And then as time went on, I realized that young people were struggling here. And then I watched their parents struggle. You know, how do you let somebody go loose on this thing? and not go crazy. How do you, how does it turn into an addiction so fast? What is the addicting aspect of this? Mm. Um, I've never felt addicted to it. I, I mean, I can let it go pretty fast. Um, you watch young people today and then and they can't turn it off. They can't set it down. And then I, as, as, as time went on, it became, you know, the Bible does have answers here. You know, uh, biblical counseling doesn't teach us that you go somewhere else because the Bible can't solve your problems. You know, the Bible wasn't surprised by Twitter. The Trinity wasn't sitting in heaven going, oh, no, they invented Facebook. Um, the Bible has the answers. So how do we connect what the Bible says um, with the current technology of the day so folks are living their lives both online and offline in a fashion that honors Christ? That's that's awesome. And, uh, you know, so often, how, you know, as a youth pastor, I, I see teenagers who struggle with their uh, – we, we, when I did this study and I, I used your material – on some things I did a I just did a quick poll with our teenagers and I've shared this with our church and I had them all get out we had just gotten to camp we were up in Gatlinburg and I had them get, take their phone out and I said what is your screen time average for last week and I had one teenage girl her average for the week every day was 14 hours a day yeah. that was her average and I said you've got to be kidding me 14 hours a day I said there's only 24 hours a day <laughs> You're spending over half of your time in front of a screen. And she said, yeah, I, you know, she started talking to us about some other things. But they are so hooked. They are so drawn to it. Uh, they talk about the, uh, you know, how the dopamine levels in our brain, how when there's a like or a share, our minds just go crazy. And, and that's what they are drawn to. And they're drawn to just continually scrolling and continually watching this device. And so... Uh, I, I thought it was so helpful as I was reading through this book, and I encourage all of our listeners, if you haven't got this book, go and get it. Uh, mm -hmm. We're going to talk through some some ideas as well. But John, yeah, I, I think I think James 
you know, my time working with teens too, I, I think we both sort of like one of the things that you, when you, if you ever work with young people, one of the things I think that just sort of hits you is you recognize there's a problem there. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing that Jonathan has pointed out is that um, after you sort of get past the initial problem with teenagers and you work with adults, I think you see that there's, there's a problem with adults and social media as well. I mean, it's not just isolated to, to young people, you know, adults are struggling navigating this, this, this technology. And, um, you know, just the same issues that you see with young people with relationships and then with addiction with, you know, likes and shares and posts, I think adults are right there in the middle of it as well. And today's teens are tomorrow's adults. And Mm -hmm. this problem will perpetuate if the church doesn't figure out a way to teach the today's teens and today's adults for the next generation, because it's not going to get better. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't predict anymore. If I could predict this, um, I'd have a lot of money, but I can't predict what the next big social media thing is going to be. Um, no one really can, but um, the technology is going to continue to evolve. We have to be ready to teach and to put the foundation in for young people and adults to be able to handle it in a way that honors Christ, because it's going to be a long term no matter what happens in the election, no matter what happens with the big tech regulation, no matter what happens there, social medias are here to stay. And we're going to have to be willing to deal with it in a Christ-honoring fashion for the long haul. And that's why the book was positioned to be for teens and those who care about them. We want parents to go through this. We want them to go through it with the young person. Um, I, I love it when I hear churches and youth groups going through it. Um, we want to do both because it's a, it's a two-sided street right now because a lot of it is mom and dad aren't aware. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, James had, had pointed out that um, in the book, some you, you you provide some great evaluation questions for. So you may be listening at so far at this point and think, OK, well, my heart's beating a little bit fast. I'm a little bit concerned. <laughs> OK, but let's get a little bit more specific because James because Jonathan has provided in the book like some great sort of evaluation questions for that james did you were you gonna go there yeah let me go ahead and read this and it says uh i like how you said before you say you don't have a problem let's begin asking ourselves some questions to see if we have a problem or not um and so the first question is this do you ever walk and post from your device at the same time and interrupt me at any time if you want to say something (laughs) well that's one of my favorite ones because i travel a lot i'm in an airport every week almost and yes, the, I mean, the answer to that one is always yes, because I watch adults do that. You know, you're trying to walk down a crowded airport hallway and then you're running into people because whatever is on the screen and rarely is it their next flight. It's, you know, they're FaceTiming live their airport experience or, you know, they're, you know, they're on Facebook live or they're, they're, they're eye messaging somebody. I mean, there's, um, yeah, you, you walk, watch people. That that one's one of my favorites, especially as I people watch because you just see it. Um, oh. I live near Purdue University, and every time there's footage on TV of students on campus, you know, the vast majority of them are not walking, watching where they're going. They're looking down at a device. Very much so. Second question: Do you use your device while driving without using a hands-free connection? I would say every person in America that's got a device would probably say yes to this question. Uh, And the challenge with this one is it's illegal now in almost all 50 states to touch your phone while you're driving. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I just recently got a ticket, not for this, not for this, (laughs) but I, I got a traffic violation ticket and had to go to a traffic school. So the police sergeant that is like teaching the traffic school was going through these types of things. And I sort of got bent out of shape because of the whole seatbelt law, because I'm like, that should be my decision. And then he talked about the uh, device law for the state of Tennessee. And I said, how much is the fine for the device law? $60. I said, does it go on your record? No. And I said, that is more dangerous than somebody just deciding, you know, on their own personal decision not to wear their seatbelt. I think that's more dangerous because that puts other people on the road at risk whenever you have the device in your hand. And his, his response was, it's just hard to, uh, it's hard to enforce. 
It is very hard to enforce. I mean, you, we see it at stoplights. You can look at the car next to you or, you know, you pass a car that seems to be going rather slowly and you can tell the person's looking down at a device or something. Um, the, the walking and the driving, though, are connected because I watch people that are walking and not paying attention where they go. The damage you can do there, the amount of force of your body moving right into something is limited versus when you're in charge of a vehicle that's got a lot of mass and moving at a high rate of speed and you're, you're not paying attention to the control. Mm. But your point's really valid. Why is legally, why is it not that big of a pain point? Yeah. This number three, I've seen more with teenagers over the last 10 years of ministry than any other thing. Does your anxiety raise when you were separated from your device? Does all of a sudden you begin to have these panic attacks of what's going to happen? Why am I away from my phone? Why don't I have this with me? Someone's texting me, whatever it could be. And all of a sudden your anxiety begins to raise when that phone's not around you. And the social networks have admitted that this is an issue. This is where it's fascinating to follow the trend. You know, Instagram saying we're going to hide the number of likes so that you can't actually see how many dopamine hits you're getting, if you want to use the terminology, from those likes. So the, the social networks, are they admit that, but they don't come out and say it in that fashion. They're just trying to modify the way their platforms work to make it less addictive to hide. It's still there, but to hide that information and to prevent you from liking something because you can see that 4 million other people already also liked that same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember watching that documentary on the, the um, social dilemma. And I remember one of the, uh, uh, the guys that were being interviewed said that he was on the, the development team at Facebook whenever they were discussing trying to uh, just come up with the like button. And he, his quote was, when we were developing that, we were thinking of a way that we could create more positivity in the world. He said, we had no idea we were going to create a monster that 13-year-old girls were going to create. Their self-esteem was going to be created by the right. base of how many likes they got on their selfie. Oh, yeah. And that's where, you know, I don't believe that any of these platforms started out to be a source of evil or to be a negative influence in our lives. And you look at the development of Facebook in college worlds and you look at how Twitter came out. Um, it, they were just not aware of how powerful the curse of sin is mm -hmm. and how the masses were going to take anything that comes out in society today, whether it's made by a social media company, a big tech, or even by a church, and how it's going to be um, perverted because of the curse of sin. Yeah. Number four, do you get nervous wondering what others are posting about you? I don't. I just always assume it's negative. <laughs> Amen. Number five, do you get concerned that there are activities taking place without you there? Mm. That's the whole, the whole FOMO. Monday morning. In, yeah, it's, that's what it is. It's FOMO. It's the whole Monday morning in school. Back when I was in school, we had none of this. So we just talked really loudly about the stuff we left people out of. Yeah. Well, well, now that FOMO is 24-7, 365 because it's living in real time when you are missing out. Yeah. Yeah. Number six and seven, I think that they go so hand in hand. And I think we see it. We're be, I guess I'm seeing it more now than I ever have on social media uh, with some of the various platforms that I'm on uh, and, and some of the groups that I'm in. But do you ever argue with people online and have those arguments ever spilled out into the real world? Um, you know, how many times are we just to coin the phrase? I don't know who ever said it first. Keyboard warriors where we we're just constantly we're picking a fight online, but we would never say those things in front of someone's face. Uh, and I think these two things um, and even the arguments that spill over into the real world, I, I don't I'm not seeing those arguments into the real world as I as much as I used to. Man, we used to that, that used to be part of in high school, man, college. We had those debates face to face where those face to face debates have now ceased and they're all online. And we don't have to worry about someone's reaction to our face. Well, you can hide behind the anonymity, or not even the anonymity. You can hide behind your screen. People know who you are, but they're physically not able to get to you. It does spill out when you have, you know, the fights and the brawls happening because of a dispute over social media. And that's more of a young person thing versus, a, you know, adults are going to argue about politics. And rarely does that turn into fisticuffs in the mall like it can for a young person arguing over a romantic interest. Um, However, it has, you know, ratcheted up the whole, um, you, you can find somebody online to believe what you believe, no matter what it is you believe. 
Um, you can have a movement for just about anything. And so when, you, when you're creating a hostile environment or you're arguing within that movement, that can spill out, even in the adult realm, um, into the real world. And that's where, and this is not a conspiracy theorist statement, but that's where, you know, the whole Russian influence on elections, what's true news, what's fake news, all of this stuff that spills into social media. You know, it takes the wisdom of Solomon to get on Facebook anymore and know what you can trust. Um, any of these platforms, you know, you scroll through Instagram feeds and you see these photographs of these great products. Is that real? Is that not real? But those what's real and what's not real can, can make that arguing ramp up because you'll see people um, talking about, did you see this on Instagram? Did you see this on Facebook? Did you see this online? And then the argument starts right there. Well, I think it's true. I think it's wrong. Um, and all that's based on, well, let's go back to the source of truth. Do you even know if what you're arguing over is real or not? Or is that just a Photoshopped picture of, or did that person really lose 400 pounds? Or, you know, did that hair restoration product really work? Yeah. That's that's hilarious that you say this. Uh, there was, a, I think, two or three years ago, there was a story that would pop up on a Facebook feed because we're here in Tennessee, and it would say, like, um, I think I think the one that I remember seeing was uh, had Jim Carrey's face on it. It said Jim Carrey says that he just loves the people of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And then you click on it and it has this story about how he was he was driving through and he had a flat tire and two or three people from the area stopped and helped him change the flat tire. And I saw so many people that I knew coming in. I knew I just loved this guy. I knew this. And then two days later, I see the exact same story attached to another celebrity's face. It was totally fake. Yeah. <laughs> but people no, were no, like, that's, we're, and that's, you know, somewhat innocent where that gets ratcheted up is when you're talking about a political issue or you're yeah. talking about a religious yeah. issue or you're talking about a moral issue. Um, the whole Roe v. Wade thing happening blew up social media because people started you know, venting their perspectives online. And then it's amazing to see to, to people, you know, you go online and you read what they're writing or what they're reposting. And it's, it can really, it just makes your head spin when you think about um, you're, you're espousing what you believe in a very public fashion and, and in a very fashion that doesn't help you get along well with others or would not be able to help you lead anybody else to Christ. Well, that's a great point there at the end. That is a fantastic point. Because I think so many times the idea of getting my opinion across becomes the paramount thing and not your witness for or testimony for Christ, not thinking through the ramifications of how someone's going to see the attitude in that. And uh, Jonathan, I think that James and I have been talking about this privately, about how it seems like some sins that are in like. Uh, uh, normal interaction with people are easy to identify, like maybe gossip. Mm -hmm. But it seems like now with the institution of social media, people will think that they can do things like that, and it never enters their mind they are committing that same sin. Oh, you're exactly right. There's a compartmentalization between the physical world and the virtual world. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't have that split. Yep. You know, the Bible is sufficient, and God is sovereign and all-powerful over all worlds, the two we have now, and any more we may invent in the future. And there is no gossip online is just as heinous a sin as gossip in front of somebody's face or behind their back. And um, there is no differentiation. And it's the same thing with arguing and, and getting angry with somebody because they don't share your viewpoint. Whether you do that online or in person, um, it's what's going on in your heart that's still the sin issue, and it applies in the metaverse and wherever else you may be. Yeah. That's a great uh, sort of segue into the next question, James. Yeah. Next question. Uh, and this one, really, parents, if you're listening and you've got young kids on social media and are hooked to their advice, this question really needs to get your ears open because are you or are your kids slow to obeying when you have asked them to give up their device to go do something? If they're on the device, they're watching a TV show, and you say, hey, I need you to go clean your room or go pack your clothes for, for school tomorrow, how quickly are they to give that up to go and do that? Reveals, again, this heart issue, and we're going to get to it in a minute, of where are they at spiritually in their heart. It's just a great evaluation um, question to ask, and you're right, parents ask this. I mean, I see adults that have that struggle um, when you have to put the device down for a period of time. Um, but what, what is your reaction when you need to get away from it? For, I, I like to get away from mine. I mean, I throw it in the ocean and the waves bring the device back to me. You know, I try to separate. 
yeah. right to me. I mean, you, you got to bury the thing and then you bury it and a turtle pushes it up because they don't want it. So, I mean, I have the opposite problem. I probably should spend more time on my device, but um, yeah, it, you see this a lot, especially when kids go to school or um, when there's a need to separate, go, go to the theater, go to a movie theater, go to a musical and watch adults struggle with the whole, can you put your device off for a couple of hours to pay attention to what's happening on a stage or on a screen somewhere else? Yeah. Number nine. Have you ever taken a compromising photo of someone or had a compromising photo taken of you? I like how you said in the book, and it's so true, nothing uh, nothing that you do on the web or on the Internet it can be taken down. It's forever. Uh, it's always there. Someone can find it. Someone can reach it. And how are we mentally being prepared for these things? And how are we just you know doing things flippantly because someone asks us to at a young age, and now it's out there for the whole world that someone could see one day? It's it's somewhat sad we have to talk about that, but you know everybody has a camera on them all the time now. I mean, you're always being filmed, whether it's you know security cameras in a store or somebody else filming something and you happen to be in the background. Uh, but everybody's taking pictures of things, and young people, they they are they are 110% into their relationships without understanding the challenges of those relationships. And where this plays out is. Um, you're my current romantic interest. I want to do everything I can to keep it that way. So if you want a compromising photo mm -hmm. um, or you want to ask me for one because you're trying to leverage the relationship against me, I, people get themselves in these situations. And this this is an adult problem too. Mm -hmm. um, sextortion is a thing amongst adults. Yeah. Um, adults that are my age, older, um, getting themselves into fake online relationships, giving away money and giving away pictures of themselves that they would never take otherwise. Um, this is, this one crosses all age groups. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Would you rather spend time with your device instead of family and friends? And I think to our heart, we probably would say no, but then when, we actually get to the heart of it and we say, okay, what are you spending most of your time with? Are you spending 14 hours with your mom and dad? <laughs> right. Or, or, or you... do you fly a, fly across the country for a family reunion and everybody's sitting in the room looking at their screen? Mm. Yeah. I, mean, I, I could have done that and stayed home and not comb my hair. Yeah. Why are we gathering in person and then spending all of our time looking at our pieces of glass instead of looking at interacting with each other? Yeah so good mm, that's that's good Jonathan. <laughs> oh my goodness number 11 did you and two left did you check your device often when you should be do you check your device often when you should be paying attention to a movie church service concert tv or even a classroom setting uh, so again asking ourselves these hard questions and then number 12 uh, and parents be aware of this as well but uh, students as well kids as well do you have fake accounts that you only show your parents or accounts that you don't show them at all. And I think this one has gotten so, uh, this was five years ago when you wrote this. I think this now, that one right there is so uh, huge nowadays that someone has accounts and accounts and accounts that no one even knows about. Um, I, I saw it even uh, at summer camp this year. I had a, a teenager show me a, a, um, a, a picture or something that she took. And I said, I said, was that, I said, I didn't see that on your Snapchat because you know, <laughs> just that, oh, this is on a different, this is on a different one. This is on, this is on one that my parents can't see. And I said, what? And she said that out loud. Yeah. She didn't even care. And I'm like, well, you probably need to tell your parents you've got these. I don't know. They don't care. But it, all of a sudden these are their reactions. These kids have things that they, their parents don't know about. Uh, and they're just withholding information. Um, and, and so I think this, this trend has gotten so, has gotten so, huge in our culture today um, that we need as parents. And I've got uh, a nine-year-old uh, who's going to be in this world quicker than I ever imagined um, that we need to be aware of, that we need to know what's going on. Jonathan, what would be a heart motivation for something like that? Like, you know, uh, creating a fake account. So I'm, I'm not a smart person, so I can barely handle one account. Um, and if you follow me on any of these, I put the same thing everywhere because I'm just not creative or smart enough to curate a content for different audiences on different platforms, let alone curating different content for different audiences for different accounts within the same platform. 
so the hard issue I think that in my so I don't do it because I'm stupid. Um, the hard issue for young people um, is it's that which angle is going to get me the most popularity? Which angle is going to get me the most likes, the most reactions? And part of that, that's why there's influencers online. These online influencers know how to generate traffic and content and likes based on their audience. Um, that's what these young people are doing when they have multiple accounts. And then they have, because um, I want the attention, it's all about me, get, get more to me. And if I can't do that with one account, I'm going to have 20 accounts. And then you're, you become a slave to your audience. So it's not a matter of posting things to please the Lord, it's posting things to please your audience to get those likes, to get those comments, to get that traffic flow. Um, and they want to be popular. So you have that this audience, I'm popular. Here's my Sunday audience. Here's my Monday audience. Here's my, you know, in-school audience. Here's my out-of-school audience. Here's the account my parents and all of their friends can see. And then here's all my private messaging groups. And the content within all those, again, you can't hide anything from the Lord. But sometimes we think we can. So we have a private message feed over here that's pure sin. And over here on this side, we're posting a Bible verse with a picture of the sunset. It's pushing the audience to get that like, to get that popularity. And they will, that's why you talked about the young lady with 14 hours. It takes a lot of time to do this hmm. and to manage your personality, to manage your online personality across all these different audiences. Well, uh, as we continue on and, and we'll sort of get more to the heart of this, uh, the first thing that we must address in, in everything is our relationship with Jesus. If Jesus, as you said in the book, is the throne of our heart, then all other ways through the Holy Spirit, we're going to be able to have the power to overcome these things. Uh, but you list four things that could potentially be the throne of our heart, uh, pride, popularity, rebellion, and acceptance. And so let's just talk through these one by one pride. Uh, as pride begins to seep in, as, as pride begins to, you want to be noticed, you want to be seen, you want to be heard by these things. How can pride uh, take over the throne of our heart and uh, make us do things that we never would have thought we would have done. Well, you know, out of the, the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and you can turn that around. You know, the abundance of the heart, our fingers type, or the abundance of the heart we post on platforms. Um, so when when pride sneaks in there, it goes back to the why have five accounts? Well, um, I want to master each one of those, and I want to get as many likes and comments as I can. So I'm going to. To, to feed my desire to be satisfied. Um, I'm going to use, you know, satisfaction here on this earth. And so my pride drives me to say, I'm going to have these accounts. I'm going to hide stuff from different people. Um, there's also the element of I'm going to be the next big thing. Mm. Every young person wants to be the next pick your online star. Um, my daughter doesn't like it when I tell this story, but we were at a, a restaurant in Newport Beach, California, and we were sitting there eating with some friends and she just starts getting all giddy. And I said, what, what's going on? What are you, is there somebody here we should know? And then there was some guy she knew on in from YouTube sitting at a table across the way. So I said, well, let's go meet him. Um, he's got all these followers. You know who he is. I've never heard of him. Um, I mean, I know what she watches on YouTube, but that doesn't mean I know the names of every, <laughs> every person she watched the video from. So we went and met him. Um, she, she, she was as giddy as I was when I met Captain Kirk. <laughs> I mean, it was just that kind of a uh, experience, and that—that's the goal. They want to be that next big star. They want to be the next big influencer. So that drives them to create content and to do things that don't focus on pleasing the Lord, but focus on how do I, how do I become famous? And our fame is not in and of ourselves. Our fame should be given to us from above. And they, young people, don't see it that way. It's I'm going to make myself a big deal. Yeah, I think you hit hit a chord right there because i think that that whole idea of being an influencer has become the the, the biggest thing in, in in culture right now everybody is i mean there's it's no talent involved maybe sometimes there is some <laughs> talent involved but it's all about being an influencer and then getting ad deals and that kind of thing and trying to grow up and it, it, it's 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 it, it's just it, Sometimes ask a junior higher what they want to be when they grow up. When I was a kid, we all wanted to be policemen or firemen or, you know, air, air pilots or something. Like now you ask kids what they want to be. I want to be an influencer. Yeah, I want to be Mr. So you, have a, you have a sixth grader that wants to grow up and be an influencer. Um, yeah. 
Okay, I mean, but what are you influencing people for? That goes back to the heart. Are you influencing people for good? Are you influencing people for evil? Or do you even know what you're going to influence them for? Well, I just want to make a lot of money. Okay, well, we're back to the heart again. What are you, what are you trying to accomplish? Yeah, and ultimately, as you've alluded to many times in that right there, pride leads to popularity because you want to be the person that's noticed on the street. You want to be the person that some stranger who you've never met before comes up to you and begins to worship you for how well you've presented yourself online, how well you've uh, made deals and the money you've made and the things that you can give away and how you can benefit them. And you want that feeling of popularity. Uh, it goes back to uh, even as a kid in five, six, seven years old when you're playing dodgeball and you want to be that first kid picked. Okay. Because you're, you're, man, you're, you're puffed up, man. I'm the best out here. I'm the first one. No one wants to be the last person picked. Uh, in our heart, you may, well, it's okay. You know, they say the best for last. You can make excuses. But that popularity that, that leads to next begins to rule every aspect of our life. We begin to make compromising photos. We begin to uh, say things online that we wouldn't say because how popular can I get? And this begins to drive us to this next thought of popularity. Uh, and it, it's 24-7 now. So it used to be. You know, before 2007, which wasn't that long ago, you know, you could kind of control this because you only had to be good when you were with other people. You only had to focus on putting on your your airs or pretending to be something you weren't when you were around other people. Now it's 24-7, 365. Your popularity online, you make one bad post, you, you can't delete it. That's the funny thing. As adults, we all talk about a now deleted tweet. You know, or somebody posted something they shouldn't have and it got screen grabbed, but the celebrity deleted it. You know, the, the young kids, they don't even connect with that. Um, but it, your popularity lives with you all the time. There is no separation from it. And when you have that persona and your, your, your pride is driving to be popular, you're going to spend 14 hours a day because you don't want to risk being left out. You don't want to risk something moving on without you because you want to keep that going all the time. It doesn't mm -hmm. ever stop. Yeah. I, I remember watching this happen to someone who would – make make social media videos with about the gospel and they'd make social media videos about you know bringing a scriptural truth to someone hurting and then they'd make a rant video about some kind of political <laughs> situation and you watched it which one ended up getting more views more likes more shares was the rants and so eventually what happened was all of these other things ended they, they stopped happening and right. everything about the platform platform became the rant videos to where that's what they're known for now. And now you can see clear as day, everything that is done is used to grow and get more popular and to just feed that base. Mm -hmm. And the, the social media companies, because of some recent lawsuits and government intervention have had to kind of peel back the curtain, if you will, and explode, explain how below the layers it works. And what you just said is how it works. Their algorithms rate the negative higher than the positive because that's where people are going. And so when they assign value to that anger icon on Facebook versus the like icon, the anger ones get higher values. And because what you said organically happens in the sin cursed human nature, that's how the social companies are balancing the traffic because the negative is what keeps it going. The, the conspiracy theory is what keeps it going. That kind of stuff um, is the value of the platform anymore because that's where everybody goes. If your business model is based on people clicking a reaction button of some kind, then you're going to push that forward regardless of whether the reaction is positive or negative. Mm. Yeah. Very much so. Uh, so pride, popularity, and then we get to this term rebellion. How does rebellion play a part in this? Uh, I like the definition that you gave. It's simply to resist authority, to resist someone that is in control over you. Our goal is to be under Christ and to be in subjection to him and what he would have for us. But all of a sudden we begin to rebel against him. We begin to rebel against our authority, our parents, how does this popularity then evolve into rebellion? 
Well, the idol of our heart is what drives a lot of what we do. And so when you're when you want to be popular and you want to spend 14 hours a day online and your parents say, why don't you put the phone down and eat some real food and communicate with people in 3D instead of in 2D? And you say no, the, the no response is when you've just rebelled. And this happens all the time. I mean, when when, um, when the government or the, the law says don't hold your phone while driving, I have a choice to make in my car when I need to pick up the phone when I don't have CarPlay set up or something like that. I, at that moment, I'm going to either rebel or submit. And with devices, because it's with us all the time and around us all the time, the rebellion comes out pretty clear, pretty fast. Hey, we're going to have a family dinner and the family rule is we don't have devices at the table. You're going to learn pretty fast if there's rebellion. And when I, when I speak on this topic, I show a commercial of a family where the commercial is selling lasagna. And the point of the commercial is our lasagna is so good, your child will put their device down and come to the dinner table. That's a commercial selling lasagna. Um, why do we need good lasagna to help kids put their devices down and obey their parents? Um, the, the Bible helps us out with that far greater than any kind of lasagna ever could help us out with that. So the rebellion is just the natural in the sin curse world, the natural end flow of I want to be popular, I want to be accepted, I want that my pride is driving a lot of this. And so as a result of that, um, we have to constantly be um, submitting ourselves and humbling ourselves and asking the Lord for help because this side of heaven, the rebellion comes easy. Mm -hmm. And even in a lot of popular culture, rebellion is a positive thing. You know, I like Star Wars. The good guys in Star Wars are the rebellion. Yeah. But rebelling against authority, rebelling is not a, a biblical concept that's called out in the Bible as sin and something that we have to be constantly on guard against. Yeah, and and let's talk for a moment as we're thinking through this, and you said it in the book about an echo chamber. Why does it, why, why, what is the appeal of an echo chamber on social media? Well, in part, it's self-validation because um, it, as it bounces around and, and what you throw out there it comes back. Um, as it gets louder and louder, all of a sudden, your one view you perceive as being the view of millions. Mm -hmm. if, if I believe um, that the grass is black and the native color of grass is black, I'm convinced I could go online and start a movement that could be pretty strong that says, I believe that grass is black. The wavelength of the light reflecting off the grass is black. Well, all of a sudden, anything you believe, somebody out there is going to validate for you. Yeah. And it, it's going to come back louder um, and it gets louder and louder and louder and louder. And so I, I think and that, that's happened. I mean, the, the, the grass analogy is somewhat stupid. When you go out and start throwing out your conspiracy theories, when you go out there and start throwing out your political views um, based in the Bible or not, all of a sudden you believe you're somehow right because everybody signs on and says, I agree with you. For the young girls, it's fashion. I'm going to post a picture of what I'm wearing and somehow what I'm wearing has validity. If a lot of people think it's good. Hmm. No, um, your validity doesn't come from anybody on this planet. That's right. That's good. good. And then we lead into this acceptance matter, which is what you just hit on, uh, the desire to be accepted, uh, through this rebellion, which ultimately leads us to this echo chamber, which leads us to, um, trying to stay ahead of, the, I don't even know how many social media platforms there are. Every time I turn around, I hear of a new one that just came out. Uh, but wanting to be on these platforms so that someone new can accept me, someone new will like something I've done, uh, and it drives us to how many people can can accept us in our life when really it's it's us accepting that one person, Jesus, and trusting in Him and everything that we do. Uh, but so often this this acceptance drives us to uh, rebel against our parents, rebel against our authority, rebel against everything because we want to be accepted. Uh, and this is in every day of life. This is um, I'm helping coach football for my, my nine-year-old this year, which is if you've never coached nine and ten-year-old football, <laughs> it's not we'll pray for you. Heart, thank you. Hurting uh, uh, cats is what more like what it should be called. Uh, but just, just this past week, there was a, a kid that, whose mom said that he was getting bullied and he, they blamed my daughter and she was like at every practice and the kid just wanted to be accepted. I'm like, Hey man, my, my daughter hadn't even been here at any practice. This is the first practice she's been to. Uh, but we talked through it and, and I helped him out. My daughter apologized if she said anything. Uh, but later come to find out it wasn't my daughter at all, but this kid just wanted to be accepted. So he came in and lied 
so that his mom would take his side so that he could be accepted and these other kids would get in trouble. I mean, this is this is five-year-old, six-year-old stuff that's going on. But when it's elevated into a form of a social media platform where millions of people are interacting and accepting you, this is where we get this transgender movement where people are accepted in the things that they say and do. And when they're accepted here, they follow there because they're accepted over there and they're been rejected somewhere else. And so they follow the form of acceptance. And what I don't think, if a five-year-old is figuring that out in the analog world, you can bet a 50-year-old has figured out um, how to manipulate or how to put a viewpoint out there that gets them accepted, that gets them some attention. And yeah. that's that's the challenge for adults online is you don't even understand what's happening with what you're reading. Um, and the acceptance desire goes to the level of people committing suicide based on perceived online bullying. Mm-hmm. So young people that kill themselves because they were being bullied online, those things are still moving through the courts, but it's fascinating to watch. Are you legally liable if you are accused of and convicted of bullying somebody online because they kill themselves? Um, Are we teaching that? Are are we teaching our young people that actions have consequences? And are we teaching our young people to put things through a biblical worldview and a biblical filter because Otherwise, you're just going online and you're getting pulled down whatever rabbit hole is the hole of the day. Yeah, that's good. John, what's your thoughts there? Uh, you've sort of zoned out a little bit on us, making sure you're still alive and awake over there. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on. Uh, no, I mean, I honestly feel like i got to repent after this is over. I mean, <laughs> Jonathan's killing me over here. Um, but no, this is this is great stuff. I think this is stuff that... Like I said earlier, I think there's so many things that we've gotten used to, as a, especially let's just talk the church culture. I think we've gotten so used to certain things with the church culture as, as in the physical idea of interaction, sin, behavior. And I think that we haven't made the cognitive uh, connection of these things in the digital one, in the social media realm. And I think that Christians need to come to terms on, yeah. Just because this is on social media and this is happening, it's still sin. And it's still something that you have to be on guard for because your heart as, as, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw Calvin, com, uh, you know, uh, quote here, your heart is an idol factory. And if there's anything wanting to come after your heart to create more idols in it, it is social media. Yeah. And if, if I could stir the pot just a little bit more, um, are we as parents and as Christians at the church level, at the corporate level, and at the family level, are we teaching biblical principles in a way that matters? Um, you mentioned transgender. Um, are we teaching about what that is? Or are we letting social media teach our kids? Well, let me, let me really stir the pot. Do your, what do your kids believe about abortion? Mm-hmm. And I'm intentionally not going to answer the question, but what are you teaching your kids about abortion? What do you believe the Bible says about abortion? Or is social media teaching your young people could pick the current event of the day? You know, right now, abortion is fairly a hot topic. What do your kids believe about abortion? More hot topics are going to come up between now and the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what happens with political ads. So has things, uh, what are you teaching your kids about what the Bible says? Um, you know, we used to talk about, is the world teaching your kids or is the church teaching our kids? Social media puts the world in our kids' hands 24-7, 365. There is no split from the worldview. The world is shouting, Christians are whispering. Where this gets even more complicated is when you talk about matters of intimacy and sex. You know, if you're not teaching about abortion, are you teaching about what the Bible says about sex? The internet certainly is. Social mm. media is full of teaching an improper view, not just of sex and intimacy, but of body image, of our, whose image are we created in? You know, are we willing to have awkward discussions and teach our kids? And you can't do this unless you have a foundation with your young people of, I want to invest in you and teach you what the Bible has to say. So you have that foundation for whatever the next hot topic on social media that you're gonna come across is, because they're seeing a lot of the same, they scroll the same way we scroll. And if you're scrolling by something and thinking, wow, I wonder if my kids are seeing it, the answer is probably yes. But do you have the foundation with your children? Do you have that opportunity to sit down and say, hey, let's talk about what you're seeing online. Let's talk about what the Bible has to say. And let's make that application because the application will lead them into their adult life. 
the restrictions you place on them now will not. And the restrictions are necessary. You need to be restricting. You need to be providing some teaching opportunities because of those restrictions. But it's what you teach that lasts into adulthood. It's not the fact that right now you only allow them to be on Facebook for a certain number of hours a day. Yeah. That's or cool. Instagram or Snapchat or pick your thing. You mentioned this, and we'll go ahead and, for sake of time, we we need to wrap this up a little bit. Uh, it's been a great conversation. But what are some practical advice that you'd give to parents and to teens uh, on how to, uh, to use your book title, Unhook from the Grip of Technology? <laughs> um, for teenagers, you need to be able to have somebody you can ask that you can trust and you're willing to talk to. So whether if that's not your parents, I mean, I hope there's a there's a, a church group or some sort of a Christian person in your environment that you could talk to and say, hey, I need help with this and, and get help talking to them and get help talking to your parents um, and, and be willing to submit yourself and say, I want to live in a way that's that's God honoring. If you can't get to that point, there's not a lot we can do for you because you don't want to. If your heart isn't bent towards pleasing the Lord or bent towards constantly renewing itself to please the Lord, there's not a lot of things that are going to force you to do that, especially once you become an adult and you're not under your parents' authority anymore. Um, For parents, um, first, make sure you have a relationship where your kids will talk to you. I want my kids to ask me about anything they see. I don't want them to feel the need to go anywhere else but to me and to my wife. We've had some great awkward discussions, but I want to have the opportunity to do that. I don't want anybody else doing that before I do, because I don't want to unprogram. I want to be on the front end doing the the programming, doing the teaching, if you will. Um, The second thing is, are you modeling any of this? Are you doing this in your life? Do your kids see you addicted to your phone? It's hard to tell a kid who spends 14 hours on their phone to put it down when they say, but mom uses hers 15 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Are you modeling? Are you willing to separate? Are you willing to teach? There's a time for it and there's a time not for it. And then are you constantly renewing your life? Are you constantly saying, I need to um, renew my life before the Lord. I'm constantly trying to grow to become more like him. So that means um, I'm going to be learning. I'm going to go to my church. I'm going to go to the, the, my mentors. I'm going to go to the folks in my small group and get help constantly renewing my life so that whatever I'm consuming, I'm getting a biblical worldview on so I can help pass that down to my kids. I'm not just waiting for it to all be over or hoping at some point they'll move out and I don't have to deal with it anymore. Um, you want to invest in them and helping them lead the next generation, the next generation to become more like Christ. Yeah. That's good. That's stuff. So good. John. Yeah. I think maybe a good evaluation thing. I like what you said about the parents. I was going to say, you know, uh, parents, maybe ask your kids, do you think I'm on the phone a lot? You know, that was something that hit uh, a while back. Like just out of nowhere, my, I think my oldest daughter said, well, you know, that we were doing something like, so we, what we were doing is at family worship every now and again, we'll say, all right, let's play family charades. And what we do is like each person gets a chance to do charades, but they have to act out another family member. <laughs> and so my daughter got up there in a totally silly mode and said, who am I? And she started walking around like her phone. And everybody was like, uh, and then like put it up to her ear and started doing this number. <laughs> and we were like, daddy. And she's like, no, mommy. And my wife was like, <laughs> he felt so convicted. She felt awful afterwards. I was like, well, honey, I mean, maybe we work on something. And then, you know, there's been other times where they've gotten me that way, but, uh, you know, ask your kids, what do they think? And I think a, a, another good evaluation question would be this. If the only thing that anyone could know you by is your social media wall. What kind of opinion of you would they come away with? Mm-hmm. Would they see a gospel centered life or would they see your rants or would they see that you're overly focused on this one thing? I don't know. I think that the, the, the conversation today, Jonathan, I thank you for the book and thank you for just the time today. That's it's been awesome. Yeah. It's been great. I appreciate you having me. I appreciate what you guys are doing. And, you know, I've not heard that I'm going to use your story about your charade game. That's priceless. (laughs) Um, But another way for families to learn that if you don't want to play charades um, is just to sit down and have your kids show you what they're doing online. Mm. Um, Just family time doesn't have to be overly complicated. Hey, let's just sit down and you show me some of the best time with my kids have been watching makeup videos with my daughter and playing games I'd never heard of with my son just letting them show me what they do online. 
and that's a fantastic way to learn and then for me to invest back in them but if that doesn't work try the charades thing i think that's brilliant <laughs> that's good well jonathan if you ever get a chance to uh, bring a friend to nasa you look me up and i'll <laughs> I, I will do that. Um, the, the security is kind of high, but um, yeah, I will definitely, that, that list is a mile long, just so you I'm know, sure, but I will sure. slot you in there. All right. awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for coming on today and thanks for this conversation. Uh, I know it's going to help many. I know that it's, if you, like I said, if you haven't picked up his book, uh, go and get that. Uh, you can find it probably at Amazon, but we'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. John will link it uh, in that. And so I uh, want to be a help. And so with that being said, John, to God, not the pastor, be the glory. Thanks for listening to the For Freedom Podcast. To find more content like this, please visit rfpnetwork.org. To find more podcasts like this one, resources, and meetups to encourage you on your journey.